Well, Dr. Lama, it's my incredible pleasure, especially from the point of view of your technical support, because I'm a huge fan of yours. And of course, uh, this book, this book, which our wonderful publisher and uh, editor, Diana Collier, gave me to read and write the uh, basically blurb on it. It was fascinating. I ate it literally in uh, less than, I don't know, five or six hours. I just was so fascinated. I poured over in. And let me tell you, it's one of the best um, economic uh, things I ever uh, read, considering the fact that I'm not obviously an economist by education. And because we're going to be discussing this book, and there are some things which only you can answer. I would like you to uh, start for many, uh, there will be many viewers who will be listening to us, is I would like to start you with, um, if you can tell a little bit about yourself. Actually, I'm not an economist by training. And I have reached the conclusion that if you want to become an economist, that is a person that can analyze economy, and economic education will destroy your ability. So if you study in university economy, there's no chance that you'll be in, you'll understand what's happening in the global economy, okay? And actually the, the one economist which I respect a lot and I buy his books is Michael Hudson. And Michael Hudson did not start as economy. And when he studied economy, he said, I made sure they don't brainwash my head. And you can see how little respect he has for economics. Okay, we put this behind us. <laughs> uh, uh, actually, I'm an engineer. And uh, I went to industry and manufacturing all my career. And I taught at the university also in engineering, uh, graduate level. Uh, so... Uh, Actually, I started writing the book not because I want to write the book. Uh, the research started because uh, after the financial crash, our business was affected. We make machines and testing systems for the fiberglass pipe industry sector. Uh, so this sector was affected by uh, the financial crash. Governments were not investing in infrastructure. Anyhow, we developed new products, etc. In 2017, I lost a lot of money, okay? And so I had to, just, to figure out if we are passing through a transition period, a cycle, and then, and then I will preserve my team. So when the cycle picks up, then I, will, uh, I, I, can, uh, I can grab the opportunities which will come with the recovery. If this is uh, something which is... Uh, structural change in the global economy, then I'd better cut down on my team, okay? Uh, so this was the reason that I did the study. Okay, when I started the study, of course, you look at GDP, etc. And then I found that uh, in Europe, they, they include prostitution and drugs in the GDP. So, so I said, this is bullshit, you know, we cannot work with this. And then in the U.S., they have the, this uh, poop collectors in San Francisco. They give them a salary of $185,000 per, per year. I said, man, this is bullshit, you know. So I, uh, I started then. I said, we have to really get into the real economy, tradable goods. Because if you buy a, a ton of potato, wherever in the world, it's more or less the same price. But if you have a haircut, 
It could be $200 somewhere and it can be 20 cents somewhere else. So you cannot put this uh, services thing uh, to really weigh economies. So uh, it, it took a lot of work to get the, the real economy, which is industry, agriculture, mining, energy, okay, uh, for all the countries in, uh, in the world over a long enough period. Okay, we took a period of 40 years from 1976 to 2016. And then we compared, we, we uh, studied this versus the energy, global energy consumption. The global energy consumption is easy to get because uh, BP publishes this data. Okay, but getting the real uh, goods, that was the difficult part. When we plotted them, we got a shocking result. We got a correlation, R squared, of 98%. Uh, okay, and if you want to fudge data, you don't fudge it like this. R squared is 0.98 and R is 0.99, which means that economy is, to, uh, real economy, real goods production, tradable goods, are totally dependent on the uh, energy. So if you measure the energy in a country, you will be able to figure out how the real economy, okay? Without the poop collectors at $185,000 and the toilet seat in San Francisco for $1.4 million, you know? So anyhow, uh, once we got this, we were able to have a, a tool to measure the economy. Okay, so we plotted the economy first uh, historically, and we found that historically, uh, prior to 1500, say in the year 1500, that the, uh, the economy or the GDP, if you want, it was proportional to the population uh, size. So India and China were number one each accounting for about 25% of the population and 25% of GDP. Then India started dropping because of colonization. And then after the opium wars on China, China started dropping. And of course, it was the West, which was uh, the colonialist countries, which were uh, richer, okay? And this, the peak, uh, if you wish, of the colonial countries was around uh, World War, end of World War II, and then uh, when China uh, kicked out, Mao Zedong kicked out uh, the colonialists, okay, with the help of the Soviet Union, then it started changing, okay? Uh, we started having what I call, let's say, the East, if you want, or Eurasia, or the non-colonialists, whatever. These started to pick up. Now, the interesting thing which I found was that India, whereas China recovered its position of contributing around 22% of global GDP, which was like before the colonization, India did not. India stayed at around 6% of uh, global GDP, uh, which is uh, basically where it was at the end of World War II. So the, here we realized that uh, a country's independence doesn't really mean much because you need to have political independence, you also need to have economic independence, okay? 
So this took us into looking into this factor. And then we got into the monetary structure, which was set up in Bretton Woods, which is actually a system, very effective system for siphoning wealth, you know. And let me interrupt you for a second, Sorry. because it's so fascinating. And I was making the notes to obviously, and here's what you're writing about, obviously, the money power. Yeah. You uh, yeah, 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 yeah. basically make distinction. So there are um, uh, four uh, four types of power you identify, which I yes. agree. Obviously, political power, ideological power, military power, and money power. So you obviously are going now to into this to elaborate on the money power, especially once the Bretton Woods. And especially when you mentioned Michael Hudson, whom I admire profoundly. Yes, so yes. please go right ahead. I'm pretty sure it's absolutely fascinating listening to you. So. Okay. Uh, now, uh, coming to this, when you, uh, as you mentioned, the, we can, you know, say that there are four main pillars of power, which you mentioned, the political, the military, the ideological, and the money. In monarchies, the way the system was before, when you have monarchies, or let's say you have dictatorship, or you have a political party such as in China or whatever, this monarch or party, he has control over the military and he has control over the ideology, okay? Uh, so th these put limits on the uh, power of money in uh, society. And Michael Hudson uh, discusses, explain this in depth, how in uh, what we call the East or the Levant or Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia, they always focused on putting a limit on the money powers because the money powers will destroy society. And the king, uh, it was uh, not as in his interest to have his society and his kingdom destroyed. Okay. So uh, what happened is uh, when Western Europe adopted uh, Christianity, you had two uh, ideological power became independent of the uh, monarch or the political power. Okay, And both of these placed constraints on the money powers because both of them had very, okay, the money power. How do they how do they get the, their power or their money? They basically get it by having money create money. Okay, this is it. Not by working. If you work, yeah. you produce or etc. There's a limit how much wealth you can uh, do. It is by having your money, which is you're sitting, and the money produces money, which is basically interest or usury or whatever. And so they both they uh, the usury or uh, or interest are actually were uh, prohibited during what the period called, let's say, Middle Ages or whatever. And there was in uh, the West the sanctity of debt, which Hudson explains and focuses a lot on, okay? And so <clears throat> for these money powers to get, uh, to get really to be able to have full power, okay, they had to get rid both of the monarch, okay? And they had to get rid of the church, okay? And actually, we will see that uh, this, the modus operandi 
for the money powers was get rid of the Catholic Church, okay? Get rid of the monarch, have a, if you want, a republic uh, or elections or whatever, parliament control. So this started in Venice, okay? The empire of Venice, which was uh, at odds with the, with the Pope, okay? It had its own independence. And they instituted the first central bank, okay? Uh, which is a privately owned central bank. And then they copied this to the Dutch Republic after it had, it had split from Spain and it became Protestant. So it left Catholicism and you had uh, didn't have a king or a sovereign. It was Republic, the Dutch Republic. They had the central bank established in Holland. Okay. Then they financed a prince in Holland to go and invade England. Okay topple the king and become king, okay? And they call it till today the Glorious Revolution. And shortly thereafter, they established the Bank of England, okay? And in France, they didn't, uh, uh, the way they did it was, if you wish, it was like a color revolution. <laughs> Swiss bankers financed. So these great guys, you know, Voltaire, etc. these were on the payroll of the bankers, so that's absolutely true, especially about Voltaire, who was very unselective how he was getting his financing. Uh, he was I also a horrible father. I also. <laughs> yeah. So this guy. Uh, so they made the revolution in France, but, you know, it became chaos. OK, so they got this guy uh, from Corsica and they made him first consul. And to reward them, he gave them a private central bank of France. And then, okay, people underestimate Napoleon. They discuss Napoleon about the wars and the battles, you know, he did the Waterloo and Austerlitz. No, no. Napoleon, Napoleon, he established La Code uh, Bonaparte, La Code Napoleon. The laws in the West are and in the United States and many countries in the world are based on the code Napoleon, okay? And so he basically introduced the secular system, the parliamentarian, etc. So now it was highway to heaven for the money powers, okay? And uh, so the West, Western, what we call the Western countries in West Europe and uh, the uh, its offspring, you know, uh, the U.S., Australia, etc. All these lost their sovereignty and their civilization to the money powers. So you see, for example, uh, the political leadership in Germany. Look at this today. Huh? Oh. They are working to the, against the interests of Germany and the German people. The same thing in France. The same thing in the U.S., for example, the XL pipeline, which was shut off. Why would you shut off, you know, a pipeline that provides you with energy? Yeah. Because the politicians, <laughs> they're not there. To, in, the power is not with the politicians. Okay? The power is with the money powers. Okay, you go elect. It is like, you know, during the, to understand the elections, etc. The Romans had a recipe for stability. And this was give the poor breads 
and circuses. Circuses, yeah. Yeah. The bread, the bread, okay, feed them. You can do it with the bread onward system. You siphon wealth from all over the world and you give them uh, the bread. The circuses is primarily the political system, you understand? Every four years, five years, they go to vote, huh? we have power, etc. But this is nothing that, more than a circus. Okay, you have the football games and the baseball and you have all the other stuff, entertainment. But a main circus is the political system. <laughs> you understand? So the West, when we say, and that brings me, when we do geopolitical uh, analysis, uh, for example, you have to, every country, you look at each country and what it, it will act to its interest. Okay, naturally. We explained, for example, China is a giant, but giant with feet of clay because China doesn't have the energy to sustain its economy and it doesn't have the food and it doesn't have control over the sea lanes of communication where it gets its import and its exports, okay? So it is, one can understand, China has to make strategic uh, alliances with energy-rich nations that are sovereign, okay? If the West tells them you cannot sell oil, the country will say, no, I will sell. So naturally, they had to establish with uh, Russia and Iran. This is uh, because it's a sovereign nation. When you think of the West, the US, Germany, France, they are not sovereign nations. So trying to analyze th their actions will, will be very confusing. Scholz, but why is he acting like this? Okay. You cannot understand. The only understanding if you realize that all these are nothing more than puppets controlled by the money powers. Okay. Which today, Previously, the money powers were the big money lenders. Then they became the privately owned central banks. Then towards the end of the 19th, early 20th century, they were the trusts, okay? They used to call them trusts. And now they are the hedge funds, okay? And uh, we, did, we gave an example on the hedge funds, for example, uh, the health sector in any nation, okay? The health sector is one of the most important thing, you know, health, education, these are the basics for your society. In the US, the health sector is now taking about 18% of GDP, you know, or something like 20% of GDP, okay? And the quality of the health sector is not better than Cuba. Yeah, Inf uh, infant mortality rate in Cuba, okay, is uh, less than the U.S. And life expectancy in Cuba is less than the, uh, is higher than the U.S. So these basic health indicators. <laughs> and you spend trillions and trillions. When we analyzed this, we found out that the health sector is totally controlled by the hedge funds. Okay? And uh, so... Uh, what is how when you have these let's say money powers in control let's say compare a king with a money power the king okay let's say a dictator you let's say a very very bad dictator okay saddam hussein or uh okay very bad dictator crazy stupid whatever Gaddafi, it was the standard of living, the quality of life, the opportunities. Okay, let's say you're a good student. 
okay? He will send you to study, let's say want to study engineering, master's, PhD, fully financed by the government. When you come back, if there is no job, he will pay you the salary of your uh, degree until you get a job. Give you a house when you, uh, when you start working or whatever. They had all the benefits. And this is what they call the crazy guy. Now what do you have? Now you know what the biggest business is in, in Libya? The biggest business is to kidnap somebody, you know, and then get a ransom. I have been in Libya in 1984. And of course, we were primarily communicating with the, uh, as the naval cadets on the long uh, cruise uh, and uh, basically dealing with the uh, uh, Soviet Navy's fifth operational squadron. And we have been in Tripoli and Sabrata, obviously wonderful. It's, yeah, the, uh, actually this uh, standard of living was such that Libyans would do what? The car breaks down, they just leave the key in it and just go away. So, and somebody will pick it up, they'll just either buy one new one or whatever. So, yeah, it's uh, and it was a nice place, not anymore. Obviously, but look, look at this point you mentioned the money, the wealth that is coming was going to the people. Okay, perhaps he has billions, trillions, I don't know what, but the people were getting the money in the US. You have number one economy, whatever, GDP, this, that, okay? You have homeless people, okay? The biggest growth is in the 10 cities, you know? So, uh, and I, I came across a fantastic uh, work. It was published in the uh, Smithsonian Magazine, okay? They had developed, archaeologists had developed a method for evaluating the uh, uh, the wealth disparity or wealth inequality in a society based on archaeological evidence. Okay, fascinating. And they studied uh, civilizations over a period going back to. I think 9,000 before Christ, up till 2000. So you are talking 11 millenniums, not 11 centuries, 11 millenniums, 11,000 years. And they found the, the most equitable society was a, a civilization that existed somewhere in Mexico. They had a Gini factor of 0.12. Okay, the second was uh, a civilization in uh, what is modern day Syria, and they had a Gini factor of 0 0.13. And uh, anyhow, uh, so uh, then, the, uh, and they continue until 2016. Guess which is the worst, by far the highest Gini factor. Well, I'm pretty sure it's, it's some, somewhere in the West, obviously. It is USA 2006. Yeah. You understand? This so is what the, you wrote. Yeah. The worst form of governance, the worst form of governance is democracy. Democracy uh, is basically, democracy what? You go and elect. Okay. You know, everybody knows. Electing, how much funding do I get? The donors, etc. So it's a money thing. 
Okay, so if it's the money thing, you are playing the game of the money. <laughs> okay, so uh, it is. Uh, this is what you wrote on the page 47 wealth inequality and the problematic of the Gini coefficients, pages 47, 48. And yes, I like how you. Well, that's your engineer. That's the engineer speaking there about the fact how you calculate things, not how they calculate them in Chicago School of Economics, but how normal people have to calculate it. But the game they play, because uh, the editor, Diana, told me, no, 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 Gini factor for the USA is 0.41. I looked at the internet. Yes, it's 0.41. But this guy, the Smithsonian, he had uh, 0.81. And then I figured they put the, the genie, they measure it on, uh, on income, not on wealth. You understand? It makes a very big difference. And I give an example for people to understand the difference between wealth and income. You have 10 people, five are earning, uh, living in a place where the cost of living is $2,000, okay? Five have an income of 1,500, and another five have an income of 2,500. Okay, the Gini factor will be very good, good equality, but actually the five who are earning less than uh, the cost of living will end up in a tent somewhere. Okay, so you cannot use for measuring wealth inequality reality to measure income inequality. So what they do, they use income inequality to hide the big disparity in uh, in the uh, in wealth, you understand the tricks. Okay, I'm getting now a message running out of time, so I don't know what to do. Uh, um, well, we can at least as the first one, yeah. we can stop here. Okay, okay, and we will continue. We will continue because it's just the part one. I will call it part one, and then we will do <laughs> it worry, stop, 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 because okay. this book. Wait, Andre. First, this I want book. to tell you how much, how much I admire you. I'm, I'm always looking on YouTube where I can catch you here, there. You and Alistair Crook. I'm always searching for you guys. <laughs> you know. Well, it's uh, an honor. It's honor, a fascinating really. book and fascinating lecture you gave us today. <laughs> and uh, so let's plan it in the couple of weeks to return back to. Yeah. Part two and part three. Because you decide, uh, I am ready and I, I really enjoy Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And uh, so, yeah, let's uh, uh, send this uh, uh, file. I will edit it. I will show you yeah, how I it looks like. It. Yeah. Andre, Andre, I work. I just pushed it now, record. So I really have no idea what's going to happen. I will try and search for it, you know. Mm hmm I'm pretty sure I will need to install Zoom. Uh, it's very inexpensive. It's $14 a month, but it gives you uh, unlimited uh, um, time. Mm -hmm. So I will have to research the thing. Okay. So let's. Yeah, yeah. I will also do the same thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What I will call it, and you will see it. I will send you a link first. Mm -hmm. I will call it the conversation with Dr. Lama. And it's going to be part one, part two, part three. Uh, it's wonderful things which you're saying. It's You see, you made my job easier because I suck as interviewer. I don't know how to interview people. So, But it's wonderful that you gave us this wonderful lecture. So let's call it part one. And we're going to be doing part two and part three. Now let me uh, let me search and see where this thing. I, uh, the good thing is it's saying recording. Fantastic.
So now I'll have to find the file and then I'll send it via WeTransfer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Let me see. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, sh I see that. Okay. Well, what can I say? I Just find the file. Time. I'm pretty sure you'll find it somewhere. <laughs> so <laughs> it should be it should be in some Zoom. Uh, yeah, it must be in the on the Zoom uh, files somewhere. Yeah. So and okay, Doctor Lama, it was great pleasure. Thank you. Very much, Thank you and we'll be talking later. Absolutely, Thank wonderful. You. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Bye bye. Bye bye.